The Pilgrimage of the Heart podcast is brought to you by PYO.Yoga, an online studio for all your yoga needs, including videos in Spanish and Russian. This podcast is also brought to you by Pilgrimage of the Heart Yoga, located in San Diego and serving over 1,000 yogis a week. Hi, this is Sujantra. Join me now and every week as we explore yogic philosophy and apply it to our daily lives. <laughs> okay, so Raja Yoga. So the book, um, I'm, I'm reading the translation. So the general category is it's Patanjali's Yoga Sutras. So I did a podcast interview today. Um, so on our podcast, we have meditations, the meditation classes, we have the philosophy that we're doing now, and we also have interviews. So I interviewed a very famous author by the name of Beryl Birch. She wrote Power Yoga, Beyond Power Yoga. She's like one of the women who's really brought yoga to the West. And her real focus after all these years of practice is on the Yoga Sutras. And so that's what we're studying right now, the Yoga Sutras. There's different translations of them. So this particular translation is by Swami Vivekananda, he did this in 1906, um, and he called his book Raja Yoga, but there's many people who've translated it, and in the podcast, um, Beryl gives her like favorite translations. So that's what we're doing. We're studying the Yoga Sutras, and we're currently, sorry, someone asked something? Okay. And we're, so we're currently on sutra number eight. I'll give a quick recap of where we're at. I'll, I'll read through the sutras with a brief explanation going up to number eight. So number one, now yoga is explained. So the yoga sutras is an exposition of yoga. What yoga? Not just, often we think of just the physical postures, but that's not, when, when using the term yoga in ancient India, basically yoga is the philosophy or the methodology for attaining unity with the universe. So, now yoga is explained. Yoga is restraining the mind from taking its various forms. And in the Yoga Sutras, mind is not just like thought, like, oh, let me stop that thought, but rather mind is our, is our, is our experience of reality, our subjective experience. So right now we're all sitting in the same room we're sharing this, this awareness of the room, and yet we're each in our own worlds. Everything we've gone through today, what's coming tomorrow, our lives, our expectations, our hopes, our dreams, that's our, that's our mind stuff. That's our mind. And so yoga is bringing, bringing that to a stillness. Yoga is restraining the mind stuff from taking various forms. At that time of doing yoga, the seer, which is our essence, our soul, rests in its unmodified state. And so in yoga, we're, or meditation, we're always talking about returning to our spiritual heart, returning to our soul, connecting with our deepest nature. And so when we're doing yoga, we're doing whatever activity we do in order to calm ourselves and sink back into that pure self. So when we're doing yoga, at that time of concentration, we rest in our unmodified state. At other times, when we're not in the yogic state, 
we're identified with all of the fluctuations. So all of a sudden, the thought comes into my mind, oh, I have my dentist appointment tomorrow. They got to do the root canal. It's going to hurt. I start to visualize. I start to get a little anxious, nervous. So I become lost in that modification. And you can expand that to our whole lives, the things we're thinking about, worrying about, all the past that we carry with us. All those are modifications. So we're either in the state of being in our soul, in our pure essence, or we're not. And most of the time, we're not. At other times, we're identified with the modifications. And so that there is the essence of the Yoga Sutras, those five sutras, because it gives the huge overview. And then we start to, then Patanjali starts to break it down a little bit. And he says, what it, the next one is, there are five classes of modifications. So when we're not resting in the soul, when we're not in our pure essence, then we're going to be in, in one of five types of modifications. So he's breaking, they're like scientifically breaking it down. What are these, breaking it down to five categories of fluctuation that we can be in. These are right knowledge, indiscrimination versus discrimination. When you're discriminating, you're thinking clearly, your mind is, is sharp. You're, you're discerning, you're discriminating. It's like what we were doing um, with desire and aspiration. That, you could say, is, is discriminating. You're looking at your life, you're looking at yourself, your actions, and saying, okay, this is, this is desire, this is aspiration. You know, you're thinking very clearly, you're discriminating. But he says these are, the five modifications are right knowledge, indiscrimination, Verbal delusion, verbal delusion, sleep, and memory. So, direct, um, the right knowledge is a great place to be. So we can't always be in the state of deep trance, deep in our soul. And so we're going to be in these modifications. So a really good place to be is in right knowledge. Seeing life clearly, seeing our relationships clearly, seeing our lives clearly, being realistic, etc. And so, um, right knowledge comes through direct perception, inference, competent evidence, those three. Direct perception, see it for yourself. Inference is I see smoke, there must be fire. And competent evidence. Competent evidence is the idea of um, getting knowledge from people that are competent, that that are true authorities. So that's right knowledge. So now we get up, now we've caught up with um, the last the last time we did this. So now we get into indiscrimination. Indiscrimination is false knowledge not established in real nature. False knowledge. 
and he gives the example, mistaking one thing for another as a piece of mother pearl is taken for a piece of silver. Mistaking one thing for another. Now let's, let's be a little more practical in our lives. What, what would be an example of indiscrimination, mistaking one thing for another in our lives? Either make, you can either make up an example or maybe something that's happened to you. Okay, so let's personalize it a little bit to you standing in that line. So, what would what would be the that what would be the indiscrimination? Uh, thinking that something that tastes good is good for my body. Okay, so that would be indiscrimination, assuming that because it tastes good, it must be good. Um, or indiscrimination could be eating something without thinking it's good for us, without knowing what's in it. We're mistaking one thing for another. What would be an example of what could happen in a um, relationship? Not necessarily a romantic relationship, but just any relationship. Where could we, where could we um, be indiscriminate? Thinking that somebody loves you and don't. Yeah, so they... they projecting out. Projecting out. So someone says hi and gives a big smile, and you think... Wow, this person must be in love with me. <laughs> or whatever it is. <laughs> we can extrapolate from there. Or conversely, someone you see someone and they get really angry. They, have a, they, they yell at you. And you think, wow, this person must really hate me. When in fact, they're just frustrated and unhappy with themselves. And we've misread the situation. So indiscrimination, mistaking one thing for another. So then you kind of think, wow, well, how can I discriminate better in life? And one of the key ways is by learning to meditate so that you can be in a given situation and in the midst of the situation, whatever's going on, you don't get lost in your own uh, jumping to conclusions. So if you can focus in on your breathing a little bit and observe this person's anger, there's a good chance that you're going to be able to see that this has nothing to do with you, that they're really unhappy and frustrated. So if you can hold on to your awareness, focus in on your breath and try and be really perceptive versus as soon as they start yelling, you like tense up and go into all the patterns that we have in our minds. So instead of letting the situation throw you into immediate modifications that are incorrect, try and sit with it, breathe and really observe. Verbal delusion. So, that, so now we're on to the next one. Verbal delusion. And uh, Swami Vivekananda writes, A word is uttered, and we do not wait to consider its meaning. We jump to a conclusion immediately. Now you can understand the theory of restraint. The weaker the man, the less he has of restraint. Examine yourselves always by that test. When you are going to be angry or miserable, try to reason 
it out how it is that some news has come to you and is throwing your mind into these fluctuations. So verbal delusion. <clears throat> Any example? Can someone think of an example? Say again? Restraint of tongue and pin. Restraint of tongue and pin. What's pin? <laughs> it's like writing. Oh, oh, pen, pen. Restraint. Okay, so someone, someone could lie to us intentionally and, and we jump into it, we buy into it. Or it could be that we, we're focusing on just one thing and we extrapolate that that is reality. So an example would be in the media, for example. So if something horrific happens... And there's, it's, there's so much focus on that, which happened, but we can start to fall into the delusion that that is reality, that that is all where, versus taking, taking and seeing things as they are. Okay, a horrible thing happened here, but how many wonderful things happened in that same moment? So, so not getting lost in anyone else's verbal delusion at you. So Vivekananda mentions restraint. Trying to, again, keep balance, keep centered within yourself as you take in what's coming at you. Okay, then, uh, that's verbal delusion. The next, remember, there's five vrittis. This is number four. Sleep. And the sutra says, sleep is a modification which embraces the feeling of voidness. Voidness. Let's see what he says. This class of modification is called sleep and dream. Sleep and dream. When we awake, we know that we have been sleeping. We can only have memory of perception. So when we wake up, we know we've been sleeping because we can remember the dream. That which we do not perceive, we can never have a memory of. Every, every reaction is a wave in the lake. If during deep sleep the mind had no waves, it would have no perceptions, positive or negative, and therefore we would not remember them. The very reason of our remembering sleep is that during sleep there was a certain class of waves in the mind. And so here we start to get into the, the deeper understanding of the world of sleep and dream. And so we have this experience of reality, what we call the waking reality, because we're having all kinds of perceptions that are coming in through our physical senses. It goes into our mind. It creates the different waves and different experiences. When we go to sleep at night, our mind is still active. A lot of times we oversimplify. We think, oh, we're asleep as if 
our mind's not working or our, we're not functioning. But in fact, our, we're still conscious beings. But what happens when we go to sleep is our outer senses, to a large extent, shut down. So I don't know if, you, don't know if you've ever had the experience as you're falling asleep there might be something that occurs around you like a creaking door or something. But as it comes into your mind, it becomes a whole different thing. Like I was falling asleep one night and it was, the reality was the door was creaking, but as it came through into my dream, it, it was an animal. <laughs> because our, our, our senses are shutting down but as our outer sense is shut down, there's still inside of our mind all of the impressions and the waves created during the day or created from our past or created our projections of the future. And those waves are what create our dreams. And so that's another very real state of being. That's another state we can be in. We're no longer watching television. We're no longer getting yelled at or... Um, doing these outer things, our senses shut down, and now we go into this other class of modifications, which is the world of dream. And interestingly, when they put the, um, when they study dreams, uh, not study dreams, but study our brain as we go through the sleep cycle, there's, there's REM sleep, and then there's also the state of deep sleep, which we go into for about 10 minutes every four-hour cycle. And when they connected it with the brain waves, it's the brain waves of delta, which are like the, the deepest and the slowest waves. And that is where, where, where he says, if, he says, now, during, if during sleep the mind had no waves... And so that 10 minutes, they say, is when we re-merge with the universal energy. Our mind completely stops and, and we, like, we sink back into the universal energy and are completely re-energized. And that is the, what the yogis say, is that the yogi is able to go into that state consciously. That that's the state of our soul. Because we need, we need to re-energize and if we're always just in our own thoughts and our own fluctuations, we don't get that. And so biologically, we do go into this deepest state. So we talk about yoga being the conscious ability to go into our soul and our pure nature, which we need to stay sane and to, to stay optimistic and joyful in life. We need some connection with that energy. But it happens biologically in the sleep pattern, in the sleep cycle for those 10 minutes. And that's, that's where you get that feeling of waking up feeling really energized. It's in, and that feeling of renewal and, and re-energy, that's, that's what it comes from, is that deepest state of sleep. It's called deep sleep. Okay. And the last vritti, so we'll get, we'll get, this will be our last one tonight is memory, memory. And he writes, Patanjali writes, memory is when the fluctuations or the, um, the, the impressions of perceived objects do not slip away. And these impressions 
come back into consciousness. So again, as a general class of being, we're here, we're having this experience, you're in this moment, it's all happening in this moment. You leave tonight, you go home, you sit down on the couch, you close your eyes, and you go into a, you choose to remember this. You're remembering this. It's not the same experience as being here right now. It's another form of this experience, is the memory of it. And we're sharing a common experience here, although we're all, slight, you know, we're all slightly in our own world of it. And when we go home, it'll be even more so. When you, when you sit down and, okay, let me remember that experience of the philosophy talk. We're all going to have our deletions and what stood out and, and what really resonated with us. And so we'll, we'll, as, we, as we move further from the actual experience, our, our memories become more and more subjective. And he writes, memory can come from direct perception, false knowledge, verbal delusion, and sleep. So we can remember any of these things. We have memories of, of all the things that occur to us. For instance, you hear a word. That word is like a stone thrown into the lake of the mind. It causes a ripple, and that ripple rouses a series of ripples. That is memory. So in sleep, when a, pecu- when a peculiar kind of ripple called sleep throws the mind into the ripple of memory, it is called a dream. Dream is another form of the ripple, which in the waking state is called memory. So dream is another form of the ripple, which in the waking state is called memory. So we're having this experience now. It's direct perception. We're in the midst of it. You go home. You sit on the couch. You consciously remember back. And then later tonight, you fall asleep and you have a dream about this moment. So, so, the, so we're, it's these different um, uh, classes of, of what our mind does, how we experience reality. And then the last sutra, number 12, he says their control, so controlling all these fluctuations is by practice and non-attachment, the practice of yoga. So you're, so you're looking at all these things going on, all the dreams, all the fluctuations, the false perception, the correct perception, it's all creates our life and it can become really confusing. And, but then it comes back to how do you control this? How do you, how do you find your way through all of this? And it's just by continuous practice of your yoga. Whatever yoga means to you, if it means spiritual reading, if it means asana practice, if it means focusing on your breath, coming to meditation, whatever your form of bringing stillness and calmness to yourself, whatever form that takes for you, just continuing to practice that. That's the way to to find your way back to your essence. So it's really deep... um, it's deep, self-reflective uh, philosophy and psychology, you could say, the Yoga Sutras. It's really a great way to... Can I just ask that yep. 
Well, the, the things I was saying about the, the, the brain waves, he's not talking about the specific brain waves, but he does talk about like the state of deep sleep going into that. And one interesting thing I, I read, and the, the sutras are fascinating because later on there's, there's four, four main chapters to the book. And right now we're in the, um, in the practice chapter. There's one chapter about the powers that arise through the practice of yoga. It gets into some extrasensory abilities. And one of them is um, the ability to smell. And in the book, Swami Vivekananda says that through concentration on the roof of your mouth, you can learn to smell um, for miles around. And so I remember reading that. And then one day I was reading National Geographic and it was talking about tigers, and the tigers can smell for miles around, and, and their, um, their sensors are in the roof of their mouth. And so one way to look at us as human beings is that you know, we're, we're, the evolu- we're the combination of all the evolution that's come before us, and so that all the abilities, the amazing abilities of animals and insects and all these things, we have these Capacities in our mind and in our being, but we've we've shut down a lot of them so that we can function in the world. And so you know, there's animals that see, there's insects that see infrared, and there, you know, animals have all these abilities. And one of the ideas of of consciousness is that we also have all of these things, but we quiet them, or nature quiets them, so we can be part of this world. Otherwise, we'd be bombarded by endless input. So that's later on in the sutras. We get into some of those, those powers. Thanks for joining us. This has been a production of Pilgrimage of the Heart Yoga. Join us at our studios here in San Diego or visit us online at pyo.yoga. Namaste.